0: if I open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. <clears throat> I always feel like, Lord, that in some ways you have a word and I, and I pray that I get it right and sometimes I know I fail miserably in that, but I, Lord, we work hard. We want to hear what you say, what your spirit is saying to the churches, Lord. We want to know what your word is to us as a local community church, CRD, Lord. We thank you for that. Father, I'm, I pray that somehow today that you are able to communicate through me what I know that you want to communicate. I feel strongly about it. I've been excited about this the last couple of weeks. And, uh, Lord, impact our lives. Change my heart, too, through the process. And uh, be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I want to first of all thank the live streamers. Obviously, most, a lot of our folks have gone back now, and somebody says, well, would you ever say hi to the live streamers? So I'm saying hi, live streamers. So many of you will be live streamers here over the next uh, week or two. Um, yeah, it's been a tough week. It's been a tough couple of weeks since uh, sunrise, and you know, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of suffering happens, but you know, many of you are suffering. And uh, I will tell you, just through the last number of years, probably the last, well, last 10, 15 years, uh, my issue with my health, uh, it really has helped me paved the way for me to be able to empathize. I think when you're healthy and everything's great, it's just like, come on, just you know, just get up, let's go, it's, everything's going to be fine, and somebody's suffering and you just aren't able to empathize. I, I am grateful for my ability to have a newly reinvigorated empathy for those of you who are suffering, not only physically, but if you're suffering emotionally, spiritually, relationally, uh, <clears throat> this life can be difficult. Jesus said that. Denise said, in this life, you will have tribulation. And I think we have to understand that. You know, we're at a particular place in this, and I, and I think it's not unusual because it's just kind of the way God operates. We are, for those of you who don't know, we are in Ephesians chapter 6. And we are going to get into today this idea of the idea of Lucifer or Satan. Lucifer just means the morning star and his name was actually changed in some ways. He's now Satan which is the adversary. For those of you who don't know, Lucifer was a, a created cherub, one of the highest orders of creation outside of humankind. They were not created in God's image. But they had a powerful and effectual ministry. Angels still to this day have ministry that goes on. If you read the text, like I think most theologians do, about a third of those angels fell, and that's what gave us what we call the demonic realm. And the head of this fantasy-twisting uh, guy was, was Lucifer, who then became Satan. And that's where we get... So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6. I want to look here at verses 10, 11, and 12, and that's where we're going to launch from this morning. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If you saw that second song, it's like you are our strength. You are our song. I mean, Lord, every strength, every bit of strength that we have, I couldn't breathe another breath without the creator of the universe. All things were created by him and for him and through him. And, you know, that's Colossians talking about Jesus. You are our strength. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of what? His might. His might. Where does your strength come from in this, this little thing called life we do down here? Where does your strength come? Well, it says it's from His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. <clears throat> First of all, do you realize that there are schemes that He is perpetrating on you today, thought schemes that will penetrate the way that you think. Not Satan himself, he's not omnipotent as we'll see, he's not omnipresent, but his forces of wickedness in heavenly places are set against you. If you don't know Jesus yet, he wants to prevent you from knowing him. If you do know Jesus, he wants you to prevent you from being fruitful for his kingdom, and he'll do everything that he can to twist you up in his little fantasy. goes on to say, for our struggle, well, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, it's against powers, it's against world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness Wickedness in heavenly places. epuranios is the Greek word here for heavenly and what it really means in some ways is sky but we get kind of three heavens, sky, local, surrounding, celestial bodies and then the abode of God. And so I think what we can do effectively to say what this is really referencing is that there are spiritual forces in heavenly places, in other words, a dimension that we don't have access to, the unseen realm, not any different than God, the Holy Spirit, the angelic realm. We can't see that, but we know by faith that it exists. The more we know it, the more we recognize it's true. And I think if you've been following Jesus for a period of time, many of you have been walking with him for a long time, you'll know effectively that absolutely the spiritual realm is very real. Now, the world knows it, and they talk about spirituality and angels and things. And remember, Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, be careful because Satan appears as an angel of light. So there's all kinds of people that are engaging this unseen realm, but many of them in a way where they think it's, the sign is marked heaven, but in fact it should be marked hell. And that's Satan. So our battle is not against people. It's not against people. It's against these spiritual forces of wickedness in this unseen realm. Well, let's go back to the beginning of this three verses. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. I'm going to ask you a question. First of all, in the Lord and in the strength of His might, what should give us confidence that we can be confident in God's might? And where is God sometimes when you want him to show up? Where is he? How come I haven't been healed, you might say. Or how could that have happened? A man in his 40s with four kids, where is God in all this? And like I said last week, it's probably the issue, the question, and the struggle that people have, even people in the church. How can evil exist if there is a good God? Or especially for those who have already given their lives to him and they're still suffering. Just telling you, it, runs through all of our mind. And I don't care how godly you may think you are, how long you've been walking with Jesus, you can, you can suffer pain for long periods of time and, and sometimes you just want to throw up your hands and you go, God, where in the world are you? Where in the world are you? Well, I think there's three ways that we can know that God, first of all, Is our strength. Number one, God is the creator. Now, for some of you, that may not be a big deal, but let me just say, we need to get at this at the outright. He is the creator. Satan's not the creator, he's a created being. Again, he was one of thousands before he got wrapped up in this crazy little coup that he tried to perpetrate against God. Satan is not God, Satan is not creator. So, our battle is against a created being. Who is limited, and that's what we're going to talk about today, but powerful. Limited, but powerful. Number two, God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Now, you say, well, I don't know about that. And, you know, maybe some of you say, well, if he's all-powerful, how can this be happening? And, again, you, you get to that back to that premise, which is if God is all-powerful and all-loving, why is there evil? Or he's not all-powerful, therefore evil can persist. Or the third option, there is a God who's omnipotent, all-powerful, and He allows evil to exist for His purposes. Strange thought, isn't it? Allowing evil to exist for His purposes. That's going to be a little bit what we're going to talk about this morning as well. Lastly, God has eternal plans that are and will be accomplished, period. God has eternal plans uh, that it shows us that we win. We win. I was at... uh, my daughter, Savannah's graduation, her college graduation this last week, which is great for all parents. Yay! <laughs> and uh, I was, we're just so proud of her. And so we went over. To, she graduated from CBU, California Baptist, over in Riverside. So we went over there. And, and the speaker came, and, and he was talking about uh, this same concept. And I was thinking about it as it relates to this, and, and I thought it was a great uh, analogy. He's from Kentucky. The speaker was from Kentucky. And uh, he talked about he only watches Kentucky basketball. He's a Kentucky basketball crazed person. But he, he's so, so crazed that he cannot watch a game where they lose. So what he does is he tapes all Kentucky basketball games. He finds out whether they win or lose. And he only watches the ones where they win. And I'm thinking about that, and he goes, you know it's it's perfect because I do not want to get to the end. I can't take the stress of knowing you know they're you know but once I know they win and they're dribbling down and they lose the, you know they lose the ball or whatever, there's a turnover and it's the last few seconds, and he goes, I'm just sitting there going, it's okay." Everything's going to be fine. I mean, I, you know, it does not bother me at all. We've got some great three-point shooters. I mean, we've got a great defense and he goes, "I never freak out. I never panic because I know we already won." Now, can you see that's true? Have we won yet or does God not know the future? Is God not all-powerful? Can he not live out his purposes in our lives? Are we is this still a cosmic battle between good and evil where Maybe God wins and maybe Satan wins or is Satan already defeated? I'll tell you, Satan, according to Colossians 2, was defeated at the cross. The Bible says he was disarmed at the cross. You say, well, disarmed, he's still powerful. Why all the pain and suffering? He's still allowed to roam for God's purposes. He is on a very short lease, but God does use Satan. So here's a premise for you. Satan is still, as he was created to be, he is still God's servant. I don't know What is he talking about? I don't know how he's going to prove this. I don't know. Well, let's go back. First of all, is God omnipotent? Is God all powerful? Is he, does he know what the end is going to be? And if he is, can he bring that end about? There's a couple of places. Psalm 115.3, I think some of you know that. One of my favorite scriptures of all time. <clears throat> Our God is in the heavens. Just what we talked about a minute ago, in the unseen realm, and he does whatever he pleases. I don't know, I don't know where you I don't know where you can go with that. He does exactly as he pleases. Let me ask you a question. Does Satan do exactly as he pleases? No, with only within parameters, and I'm gonna prove that to you a little bit later through the text. Psalm 103, verse 19: the Lord has established his throne in the unseen realm, in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all that sovereignty in the hebrew is malkuth and it really means his rule his domain his royal rule his uninterrupted power his supreme power he is absolutely sovereign and he rules i don't know if you really have that down in your soul but that's what these are verses you need to go to when you're struggling and going where are you god and then read this and just reread this and and you're doing as you please, and I know you love me, and I know you know the end, and I know you have purposes for my life, and I, I'm just going to trust you even though right now I cannot see how in the world you're involved in anything that's going on in my, in my pain right now. Isaiah 41, 21 through 24, present your case, okay? So you want to try to pull this off on your own? Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong arguments, The king of Jacob says, let them, and he's really referencing anybody who would try to give you guidance, you know, gurus, and for them it was idolatry. Anybody, you know, a prophet, a false prophet, anybody who was, they were trying to get direction, somebody to give me some insight into why I live and, and where, what I should do. And that's why the Bible is so adamant about not going to seers or going to those who call up the dead or to seances or any of that kind of occult behavior because they don't know what the future is. They can pretend, but they do not know. Satan does not know the future unless it's already been prescribed to him and he can go back to the Word and he can see what, his future, what the future lies. But he doesn't know the details. It says, "'Let them declare to us what is going to take place.'" As for the former events, declare what they were, that we may consider them and know their outcome. Or announce to us what is coming. Please just tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. Did you see the Kentucky Derby yesterday? What a strange, strange thing. I mean, we are so subject to the moment. I mean, did you see the exaltation if you didn't see it? Uh, there was a, a, a horse that won going away. It was clearly one of the best horses, won like his last five races or something like that, and I don't know anything about horse racing, but it was exciting coming down, you know, two minutes of real action-packed excitement, and 150,000 people there, and, and all these celebrities and all these, ah, oh, this is Kentucky Derby, and the guy comes down and he wins, and, you know, he crosses, and they get him off, and he gets all the interviews, and they interview the trainer, and they interview this, and this, and so what they didn't realize is that up in the corner they said, you know, this is not yet an official decision. And <clears throat> not because it was close, not because it was a photo finish. It was because there had been some people said that, I guess, according to the rules, you have to stay within the context of your lane. You can't move and impede other horses. And it took them 22 minutes. And in that 22 minutes, they finally came back and they said, and they just they didn't even announce it over the loudspeaker. They just put official winner, and then it was the horse that finished second. And that, was, that horse was disqualified. After 22 minutes of celebration, ah, just tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. One minute you're celebrating something that you've tried and strived for your whole life, and the next minute you're disqualified. Declare the things that are going to come afterward, that we may know that you are God's. Indeed, do good or evil, that we may anxiously look about us and fear together. Behold, catch this, you are of no account, and your work amounts to nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. Let me tell you something. If you choose your own rule and reign of your life, which is not being in the kingdom of God, I'm just telling you, you have chosen, according to Jesus, Satan's path. You are deluded into a fantasy and imagining that somehow, as a created being, you are the sovereign rule over not only your life, but everything that includes and involves you. That's a delusion, and you've chosen Satan's path. And according to this, those people who choose that, it's an abomination, is, those are strong words. I mean, we can here, lift it up a little bit here. But no, if you choose a path that is anything other than subordination to your creator, everything else, none, of, none of the other stuff makes sense. <clears throat> so here's the thing. We know the end of the story, don't we? We do. Jesus comes back. We can go to Revelation 19. Jesus comes back. We know about the resurrection of the dead. That was that first song. There ain't no grave that can hold me down. No way. It, why? Because it couldn't hold him down. And the Bible's clear. If, they've, if God's raised him, those who are in Christ will be raised as well. So, no grave can hold me down. We know that we're going to have resurrected bodies, no more bad feet and legs and, and, you know, cancer and all the other stuff. We will be raised. We will be raised. We win. God wins. And he sets up his eternal kingdom. Go to Revelation 7, 9. All all nations and tribes and tongues will be there worshiping God forever, a new heavens and a new earth. I mean, it's an incredible picture in the end. So we know the end of the story. The problem is we don't know the end of our story or the details in our story. We We know the story after we leave this earth and that we win and are resurrected But between now and the time that we die, we don't know all the details. And that's, my friends, where faith comes in. That's the connecting. That's the link between what we know to be true once we die and that moment until we are then resurrected. From now until our resurrection and our death and resurrection, until that, we don't know all the details. We know the end of the story, but we don't know the details of all of our story. Well, isn't that faith? Isn't that the place of faith? I mean, we start out with some general knowledge about the end, and then you may even have some insight, maybe some vision that the Lord has given you about your life. I, I was spending time again with our kids this last week, and I and I like to often do it, and I go back and I get these old journals out. 1993, December 28th of 1993. I can show you right there, right after Laura and I got married. It's almost 26 years ago, and. We were looking, and this was was the vision for our life. We want to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And then secondly, we saw business men and women, executive type men and women, bowing down from worshiping the God of materialism and bowing down to the king. I mean, I've got that written 26 years ago. There was some sense of God putting in me. That was way before I'd ever taught a Bible study or done anything. I I was just like, you know, it was just somebody... Just walking along, just saying, God, do you have a plan for me? I'll give you my life if you want it. And and now I look back. I didn't know all the details. I couldn't have even fathomed all the details. So we have a little bit of vision of which, you know, it may not be exacting, but we have a directive a directive sense of what God has gifted us to do and the direction that he's pushing us. And then we know the end of the story. But what about the in-between time? Well, that's where we go to Hebrews chapter 11. We can see in verse 1 and 2, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things that we cannot see. Now, catch this. For by it, men and women, I would say, have gained approval. Why? They trusted God. Hebrews 11, verse 7 and 8. By faith, Noah, now catch the language here, being warned by God about things not yet seen. Okay, Noah, I'm going to give you some insight. Here's a little bit of vision. Here's what's coming. I know you can't see it because you don't have all the details. Let me give you one detail. There's something coming. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he, was, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You know what's strange is, by which he condemned the world. It was in living out for God was in a sense a, con- a condemnation of the world's ways, of not living for God. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. Oh, there's going to be triumph, my friends. Eternal inheritance, your seed will bless all the nations. I mean, that was the promise. And he went out not knowing the details, not knowing where he was going. We know the, we know the end. Kentucky wins. How they get there, I don't know. Can I maintain, knowing that we win, can I maintain the attitude of knowing that we win in the details? Where are you right now in your life? Maybe the details are saying, we don't win. Where's God? Trust me, I can relate. I can relate. So here's the next question. Hands off apart from God's permission, but he does permit. In other words, God speaks to Satan and says, hands off my kids, unless I give you access. Now, many of you will know this through the book of Job. I'm going to share with you something in the book of Job many of you I don't think will have ever seen and it will blow your mind. I want to read the story, portions of the story because I think it's important because it will help you in your understanding of who Satan is, what his objectives are and how God uses Satan and his fallen objectives to his purposes and actually uses Satan as his servant. Okay, Job chapter 1 verse 1. You know, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. This is by biblical standards, Old Testament biblical standards. He was a man of faith. He was a man of integrity. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking about on it, around on it. Satan's activities are he is on the earth. The Bible says that he is the little g, God of this world. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Lord, why would you do that? Why would you get him going on this? Why would you bring that up? Don't do that with me. I don't want the Lord to say to Satan, have you considered my servant Jeff? No, I want to to stay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm protected right now. I've got some hedges around me. Don't do that, Lord. What are you thinking about? Have you considered him? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, well, does God fear, does Job fear God for nothing? Really? Are you that proud of your guy? He fears you, but it's a quid pro quo deal. As long as you give him, he's going to love you back. You feed a dog, a cat, forget dogs. Dogs might come back. You don't feed a cat, it's gone. (laughs) Feed a cat, it's going to come back to you. I mean, he's just a cat. He doesn't love you at all. But he'll he'll come back when it's time to eat, and then he'll disappear again. Have Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Now, is that permission? Permission granted. Only don't put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now, many of you know the story. The day came and sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and Sabaeans attacked and took them and they slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking another come and said the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and servants and consumed them and I alone have escaped to tell you and while he was still speaking another came. Chaldeans formed the three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, can you imagine? You want know, to talk about, some of you have felt that. Maybe some of you are going through that right now. It's just like one thing after another. Can you beat a man when he's down? While he was still speaking, another come and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground. What? And did what? Worshipped. Worshipped. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. It wasn't through there. And you say, well, that's enough. I mean, that's enough. You've given Satan excess. Job 2. 1 through 10, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And he answered, and from roaming about on the earth and walking around, and have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one, blameless, upright, fearing. And he still holds fast his integrity. Same, Same exact scenario. He's still walking in his integrity. Have you seen that, Satan? What do you think about that? I allowed you full access to his life. Well, except for not touching his physical body. Although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Notice that. Without cause. Satan answered and said, skin for skin. Skin for skin. If you let me touch his body. It's one thing to touch something outside of it, but let me touch his body. Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to his face, to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Permission granted. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and he took a potsherd sure to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes and his wife said to him do you still hold fast your integrity you fool my ad curse God and die you speak as one of the foolish women speaks shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity in all this Job did not sin with his lips now we know the rest of the story we know that Job came back in and And his friends came, tried to give him good counsel, you know, well, maybe there's sin in your life or there's got to be something. And they tried to dig down, dig down. It was bad counsel. In fact, God was going to take them out. At the end, Job had to pray for his own friends because it was lousy counsel. It was in the heavenly courts, suffering without cause. Now, much of our suffering is a function of, of cause, but there is suffering without cause, as was the case with Job. You say, well, you know, that's Old Testament. I mean, I understand that back then, but that's not New Testament. I mean, that's not, I mean, God doesn't still, now under the blood of Christ, God does not still give access to Satan, I'm sure, because we're protected under the blood, right? I mean, we're protected. I mean, God doesn't allow things to happen to us as his children, no more than we would allow access given to our own children. God certainly loves us more than we love our own children, right? I mean, it's, there's got to be something here. Luke twenty 24, let's go look. Let's go look. What does the word have to say? And there arose such a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded as the greatest. I just love the disciples, don't you? (laughs) Let's sit around. We're in the presence of God. I mean, he's doing all these miracles. I think I'm greater than you. Are you greater than me? I think we're great. I mean, they're having this argument about who's the greatest. I mean, clearly they've got a long way to go to carry the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. They are early on in their training process. And he said, the kings of the Gentiles, well, they lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not this way with you. As we talked about last week, the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? I'm the greatest and I'm the servant. He laid that out. It's the servant now principle. And then he says, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. Now he's going to give them a picture of the end after their death. He's going to give them a little bit of the we win speech. It's going to look bleak. It's going to look dark. In fact, Zechariah had prophesied this well before. The, the shepherd's going to be taken out and the sheep are going to be scattered they're going to run i don't know him peter says i don't have any, i don't have anything to do with him it's going to get dark and it's going to get darker and persecution's going to come and trial and temptation like they could not have possibly conceived he's going to give them a picture of the end though they need it they need a we win speech in the end they need it And he says this, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as the Father has granted me a kingdom, I'm granting you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow, the end of the story. Oh, it's so good. But how do we get from here to there? Well, Jesus is also going to outline that for them too. Between now and then, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission. Sound like Job, doesn't it? So somehow Satan comes into the heavenly courts and demands permission to sift Peter. It's clear from the context. Like wheat, but I, Peter, have denounced him and says, you cannot touch Peter. That's not what he says. He says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. In other words, Satan's going to be given permission, and he's going to sift you like wheat. He's going to come into your head. In fact, you're going to you're going to tell me you don't you don't you, you're going to in a cursing, harsh way. Probably, given as I mentioned on sunrise on the uh, Easter service, probably within a court of maybe thirty by thirty. I mean, no lar- m- not much larger than the stage. Jesus is there and Peter is there cursing. Sometimes I think we think Peter's denouncing him way outside, outside in the middle of nowhere. I have a sense that Jesus could sit there and just watch Peter curse him and say he had nothing to do with this man. He was sifted and he fell, tragically and ingloriously. Satan had had prayed, Satan had asked permission, and God had said, permission granted. But Jesus says, I'm already praying for you. I'm already praying for you. And the reason I'm praying for you is I want you to strengthen people on the other side of your failure. That's powerful to me. Well, what does all this mean? Obviously, Satan's given permission to sift us, I think, mentally, right? I mean, that's mental warfare, temptation, physical disease and pain. We see that with Paul, as we'll see in a minute. I think he's given spiritual warfare, actually demonic oppression at times. I you know, there's a big question in the body of Christ: can a believer be possessed by Satan? I don't happen to believe that a, that a believer, my personal sense, there are some theologians that disagree, that possession can take place. There are some that do. I don't, but I do know that we can be oppressed spiritually. I know. As a pastor, I mean, if if you've never done any counseling, and I know we have many counselors in here, depression can rule in believers. That's spiritual warfare in their own heads. And they've been given permission by Satan to do so. They say, well, you're hurting my view of God. No, I'm helping your view of God because if you're going through that and you think God doesn't, then you're gonna. Then you may think, well, it's all my fault, or I'm different than everybody else, or there's somebody else at church at the red door, and I'm I'm the bad guy, I'm the I'm the outcast. How can I, I'm too afraid to even talk about this? I don't want to talk about that. I'm going through some depression right now, because you know that'd be saying I got to give up. You know, I'm a, somehow I'm I'm less than I I'm not part. Maybe I. And then Satan will come in, are you even saved? I don't even think you're saved. I don't even think God loves you. I mean, you you can go down that road. Let me just tell you, spiritual oppression is part of permission granted. Of course, the question is why. Erwin Lutzer, who was at Moody for many years, you know, Pam and Rick Carlson are part of that church, and he writes writes a tremendous book, you know, God's the Devil, Essentially, the very premise. He, he talks about four ways, three that relate to the believers. Why would God allow permission granted? Three things. Number one, to refine the obedient. There's not cause in this, but He's refining us through this pain. How so? I can't figure it all out. I don't know. I'm not God. I can think of a lot of reasons he should heal me today. And there are many churches that say, if you have enough faith, he's just going to heal you. He's going to heal you. He's going to heal you. It's just not the case, folks. It's not, the, it's not what the Bible says. The, you know, as we'll see in a minute, Paul prayed three times, remove this from me. So he refines the obedient. He doesn't always heal his children. Now, can I just say that again? He does not always heal his children. And at some point, we all die of something. Unless you're so healthy in California, your goal is to die of nothing. (laughs) He refines through pain and suffering. And I could go down the long list. Count it as joy when you counter various trials. Or 1 Peter 4, you know. Arm yourselves to suffer. Arm yourselves to suffer as Christ has suffered. Arm yourself. Get ready for it. Number one, he refines the obedient. Number two, you ready? He disciplines the disobedient. Yes, God does allow access granted by Satan to come and discipline the disobedient. We get that all the way through Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was an incestuous relationship within the church. And Paul makes this very dramatic statement. It sounded so strange. Uh, I'm going to give him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved one day. Amen. I'm ter- permission granted or 1 Timothy 1.20, Hymenaeus and Alexander, same thing. I'm going to deliver them over to be taught, not to blaspheme. Sometimes, even within the context of the believing community, there's great failure and God will say, permission granted to Satan to come in and discipline his own children. And that's something you should always ask if you're suffering. Lord, is there some place that I've got sin in my life but imagine that it's not always that. And lastly, it's to purify his holy ones. It's to refine and to purify <clears throat> and to discipline. He gives Satan access through all of those. Second Corinthians 12, we've, I've talked about it many times in here, but in the context I think it's important to see. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, because God had given me so much, Paul says, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, wow. Pain, physical pain to keep someone from exalting themselves. That's Paul's take on this. I mean, if I had everything, I'd health and this and that, and everything's going my way. And how could, number one, I would just say, how would I relate to people? Everything always works out for me. Oh, yeah, everything he touches turns, turns to gold. You know, and then you conceive of, you know, Paul being up there. And Paul's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not great with my words, and, and uh, he had some little things. He was imprisoned, and, and, and he had this thorn in the flesh, which we don't know what it was. It was physical or spiritual torment or whatever it was. He prayed three times that God would remove it, and what does he say? He says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Notice, a messenger of what? Satan to torment me. Who gave that permission? I thought you were giving your whole life to God. God, access granted. To do what? To torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. Wow. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. His strength, his power. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, the world says that's ridiculous. When you're weak, you're weak. When you're strong, you're strong. The Bible says no. God says when you're weak, my power in you, now you're strong. And you'll know it's me and you won't perceive that it's you. Still struggling to accept that the Lord actually chooses to bring evil into your life? I'm going to ask you that question. Are you still struggling this morning to believe that God uses Satan to bring evil into your life? Is this a heresy? Is it a misrepresentation? Well, Paul Harvey's, what, what did Paul Harvey always say? And now for the rest of the story Job chapter 42. Let's go to the end of the story. I want this to grab you and I, want you, I don't want you to ever forget this, this particular passage, Job 42, 11. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him and they ate bread with Job in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities, the ra'ah, that's bad, evil, distress, injury, wrong, hurtful, unpleasant, misery, that the what? The Lord had brought on And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. I'm like, thanks a lot. So we have to make a distinction here. Does God bring evil? Not immediately. The immediate cause of evil is Satan. Satan brings disease. Satan brings distress and misery. Satan. But you cannot not say that God is not the ultimate cause. See what? Job 42.11 is saying, is saying, look, I care so much for you that I'm going to begin the process that we talked about last week of conforming you to the image of my son, preparing you to rule and reign with me for all of eternity. If you anticipate that that will be done only in pleasant, wonderful little Bible studies and nice church services where all your dreams come true. Part of this is a cross and many of them are having your dreams shattered. Fall upon this rock and you will be shattered, broken to pieces, Jesus said. But don't let this rock fall on you, otherwise you'll be ground to dust. Brokenness is part of the kingdom. The cross is part of the kingdom. And if God does it, can you walk out of here today and go, but he does it because he loves me? That doesn't mean there aren't dark nights of the soul. Or you may be there in bed just going, why the pain? Why the unrelenting pain? And I don't care whether it's physical. Physical sometimes is the easiest to to, to overcome. Spiritual, mental, relational, all the different kinds of ways, and you just feel like it's just tormenting your soul. Can you say, as Job said, Lord, I know you've given permission to Satan. Or Paul, I know you've given permission. If you've given me permission, then then I believe with all of my heart, without any question, that you're doing this for my good. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. I know that's hard. I'm st- I am I would tell you I probably wouldn't be as... Imp- I would be impassioned about it, but I don't know that I would be as impassioned. I mean, I was, I've been in such pain this last week. Pain. I'm talking pain. But I, I don't say that to garner your sympathy. I really don't. I really don't. Because I know many of your stories some of you've gone through intense long brutal pain cancer for many years you know i know i think of one man in here that has gone just fought this cancer battle for year after year after year and he's such a godly man some people jump off the bus here you know i just i can't believe that it just sounds like you're just make, making stuff up Damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, you Christians, you just make everything into something where God's good. He is. If it wasn't for the end of the story, then I'd struggle with it. Now, do we win in the end? Kentucky wins. No, they can't. There's only three seconds left. They're down. Two points. They don't have the ball. I'm just telling you they win. Oh, it's unbelievable! Unbelievable turnaround, last-second shot! Oh wow! We couldn't have imagined a scenario like that. See, the world couldn't imagine a scenario for you, but this is this is the beauty of our word, isn't it? Is this is hard? This is a hard message. I I, I don't expect, but let me tell you something. It is the most incredibly liberating message you will ever hear. If you understand, and this is the close. Are you ready? God allows Satan into my life through his own permission, granted, to do what? To conform me to his image and prepare me for the incredible, glorious endgame where we win. That's the message. If you don't think that Satan has access and that, that you're completely protected and hedged in from all of his activities, then why would Paul be asking to put on the full arm of God that we'll talk about. We'll talk about some of his schemes next week. Why would God be imploring us to do this if there wasn't really an adversary? Or if there was an adversary, but he had no, it's like a Teflon Don here. Well, no, you can't touch me because I'm covered in the blood. Some churches preach that. I think it's very dangerous to preach that if you're right with God, then everything's gonna go your way. It's just not Bible. So I wanna encourage you today that understand God is omnipotent, and Satan is powerful, but he is on a short leash. He cannot go beyond what God has allowed him to do in your life. Can I say that again? Satan cannot proceed past what God has allowed him to do. So if you're struggling, he's allowed it, but he can only take it up to a point, and then permission is not granted and then typically God will step in and a lot of times there's restoration that happens and there's beauty. And then, you, But you've gone from this level to this level. You look much more like Jesus now. And you're also more equipped to go into the kingdom and help hurting lost souls meet Jesus. Does that make sense? Let me tell you something. This is a good word. It's not a heretical word. It's not a bad word. It is a good word. And I will tell you with all with all my belief, this is absolute Bible. So now we're going to listen to this story, uh, testimony. Uh, the Monica and Denny Sabo, they, th- this young woman, actually came to their home in Montana and produced some music in their home, and it's her testimony, and then we'll close with her song. And this is about suffering. This is about suffering. I hope that it helps you. And then if Paul could come up and just close us in prayer after that. Love you people.
1: Music has always been such a big part of my life. There's always been a song in my heart that I needed to sing. I started writing songs when I was around 12, 13 years old, and I never really grew up envisioning sitting on a stage with people in front of me, but I just, I absolutely fell in love with the passion in music and the way you can relate uh, to others through telling, I love to tell stories, so telling stories through music. And my dad was a worship pastor, so I grew up always in the worship music world and watching him lead worship and learning what worship music was and who we were worshiping. He was such a big encourager of me chasing my passion and my dream. So those dreams throughout the years kind of led me to Nashville. I spent about a year there uh, chasing after it and leaving demos at doorsteps. And, um, but one day I got a phone call and it was uh, unknown and, and they asked me if I was a relative of Ross Turner. It was hours after that that I finally found out um, my dad had passed away. It was a sudden heart attack, absolutely out of nowhere. It was such a dark period in my life, Uh, but music was still such a strong desire in my heart, so it just kept pulling me forward. So I chased it, so I packed my blue Honda CRV and spent about eight years out on the road, touring around, playing and singing songs and sharing stories for absolutely anybody that would give me the time of day. But it got to a point where I was, I was starting to do some shows, and I'd be on stage, and I, all of a sudden, my memory I was having some memory problems. I couldn't remember my songs as well. My speech was getting really slurred. But it got to a point where I couldn't function anymore. Um, I couldn't think very well. So I, I finally went home. And that last trip home, I stayed for a number of years. I ended up bedridden for a really long time. Um, My muscles atrophied. I could no longer walk. I couldn't swallow. I had a feeding tube. I had seizures. I found out I had Lyme disease. Spent another six or seven years on every kind of IV treatment protocol that there possibly is. The Lord was very quiet during that time. So it's like in those seasons I just have to hold so tight to what I know that He doesn't ever leave and that He loves and it's forever. Finally, some of the treatments that we were doing started to work and my body would bounce back and I finally started to get back out on the road a bit and do what I love to do and connect with people and sing and hear their stories. And I met my husband out on the road. We got married and about a year into marriage, um, we got pregnant, which was a huge surprise because we had been told I couldn't get pregnant. And then right around our 12-week ultrasound, I was laying there and I remember looking at the doctor and I just remember his face going white. He said, your son has a birth defect and that it's absolutely fatal, that there's nothing that can be done about it. We carried him, um, I think about 34, 35 weeks. They did a C-section, I just, I remember the way it felt to have him sitting on my chest and I remember they said that his breathing was getting labored. so. I kind of knew. And so I just remember whispering to him, if you're ready to go, you can go now. Again, music played such a a constant role in that. It was such a way for me to process so much emotion and grief. It really has always felt like a gift that the Lord brought me. I I think he knew I was going to need it to get through all of that. Throughout like that first probably year or so, I was going out of the road and still doing singer-songwriter storytelling, lots of house shows. And for so many years, I prayed for the Lord, please open these doors, please open these doors. I'm working hard. And it was just a change in my prayer. And I said, Lord, whatever door you open, I'll walk through. And it's kind of scary because you don't know, you don't know what's about to happen. But to share songs about my faith and about the Lord and um, for all, just saying thank you for all He's done, it's an incredible honor to me, as well as it's like a huge responsibility for me. But He asked me to show up. He asked me to do this, and I, I said yes. Uh, so I've just kept showing up. Her is